0: I don't profess to be an expert in anything at a deep level, but I know lots and lots and lots of little things that need to get done, and therefore I'm quite a useful resource to have to say, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? These are the potential solutions you've got. Let's build that solution together. And that's going back to that teamwork. How do you make sure you plug the right people into the right other people to make sure that they are building those plans pretty
1: quickly? Hi, and welcome to Helping People Perform the podcast that gives you fascinating insights into those people whose chosen vocation is to help others perform at their best. From consultants to teachers, sports coaches to financial advisors, all of my guests share a passion for getting the most out of individuals, teams, and organizations. Enjoy the episode. Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Helping People Perform. Uh, can't wait for this week's episode. I'm joined by a really good friend of mine, someone who I've known for coming on 25 years, it's going to be. So It's uh, it's been a while and it's been a pleasure all the way through. Today I'm joined by Owner and Managing Director at Peak15 Advisory Services. Welcome to the show today, Tom Cliff.
0: Hi, Paul. Thanks for the intro. Um, Great to be here. Yeah, 25 years. I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah. yeah. Shall we just dive straight in?
1: (laughs) Let's do it, mate. So uh, what I like to do at the start of all my episodes is get people to give us a bit of background to yourself. What's got you to where you are today? And then we'll delve into a bit more about what you do today. But tell us a bit about your background and what got you to where you are in this present moment.
0: Yeah, no problem. Um, so I mean, most people that know me know I, I I went to uni in in Durham and I did a chemistry degree. Never really felt cut out for for the chemistry part of it, and and I had no idea what I really wanted to do. So I took a role in management consulting. I thought I you know go and see the world, see lots of different industries, and finally find what I enjoyed. And and, and what happened was I ended up working in uh, the post merger. Element of mergers and acquisitions. So actually helping people put companies together or conversely take them apart and separate them out. And having fallen into that, I found I really, really enjoyed it. Um, so I did uh, a few years with Deloitte where I trained up, I then went and, uh, worked in an organizational development consultancy focused on the people elements around change. Right. I then moved to Grant Thornton where I was there for eight years and I, I led the, the, post deal, uh, operations part of the grant thorns business consulting team for for eight years in the north of england and then i decided to take some time out i realized that the partner track wasn't quite what i wanted to do i I really enjoyed getting my my sleeves rolled up and i enjoyed getting stuck into the detail yeah so i decided i'd go out and, and start up on my own and and offer these services under my own banner so i started that in 2019 and um I've been doing
1: that ever since, and thoroughly enjoying it. Fantastic, and a, um, interesting one there because I've got so many people on this show from different backgrounds and different technical training, so so mm. to speak. You know, I'm, I'm an engineer by trade. I'll always say I'm the yeah. world's worst engineer, but I've brought a lot of the learnings from engineering into what I do today. So, is there anything that sticks out from those chemistry days um, as to something that's helped you or, or hindered you in, uh, throughout your career?
0: I, I- First, I would challenge that you are not the worst (laughs) engineer in the world. I I know you're you're, you're, you're a pretty mean engineer. I think in terms of what I bring from that that university chemistry um, time, look, university teaches you to learn an incredible amount of different things in an incredibly short space of time to a very detailed level. And I think going into any sort of consulting advisory style role, that ability to walk in and pick up things really quickly is really, really important. Mm. I think the one thing that probably stands out from the chemistry side of it was some of the lab work, some of the practical work. Right. As you get further into a chemistry degree, the lab work becomes harder. It becomes more complicated. The things you're trying to create and analyze become much more complex and you tend to work more as a team. Right, And when you're in those labs, you're not just working on your own at your workstation, you're working with a group of people who might be your friends, you might be in a team. And that stuck with me. I think the ability to gel people together, to help them work towards a common goal, and whilst it might not often always be obvious, I think that's a really important part of what I learned during my, my degree that I've continued to be able to apply um, through my career. Right.
1: Oh, wonderful! Yeah, there's always some great learnings you can take that sort of snake their way throughout and keep the threads going, and uh, mm. I think that's a really important one. And uh, um, one other thing that I know about you, amongst many, mm. and we'll we'll keep a lot of them off this podcast, but uh, um, I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know that you've kept in touch with the university and you've done a lot of work for the university and Gray College where we were both at um, yep. throughout the years as well. Tell us a bit about what got you back involved once you'd left university and, and why that's been important to you.
0: So, yeah, I mean, up till about 2016, where I just sort of completely ran out of time and realised it wasn't fair on either party that I was trying to, trying to juggle that. I think what I took was the the sheer enjoyment of the time I had when I was there Mm. and the fact that it gave me so many opportunities. I met so many great people, not just the friends that I still have today, but also, you know, some of the, some of the academics, some of the other people who were around the college um, at the time. And I wanted to continue to make sure that the people who were going through the college at the time continued to have that level of, enjoyment and experience so i helped to set up um the college's business angel scheme not business angels in an entrepreneurial way but more people who had graduated who could give advice honest real advice to students about what the sorts of careers they were going to have and that manifested in a website um which which matured as we got hundreds and hundreds of business angels just people answering a short form questionnaire, which would then be posted and categorized under the sort of career, but also putting together careers day to help people understand what it meant to apply for a job, how to stand out on an application form, how to go through their um, interview process, and then what it would be like when they actually landed in in said job of their choice. And I really enjoyed doing that. Um, But like I say, when we got to sort of 2016, I was, well progressed in my career i was i was running around the country like a headless chicken <laughs> i decided that um it was time for me to step back from that um and whilst i'm still in touch with the college and i, I support them very much i do tend to take a, a bit of a uh proper alumni role now and go back for a bit
1: of fun and games every now and again and um yeah let let, let someone else take the reins no i think that's wonderful and i think being able to give back and finding a way to give back to those institutions that have given you so much particularly on reflection you know coming out you know Mm -hmm. I think uh, it's something that we can all take a a lesson from and and think about how we can help and what we can do and even if it's just connecting people having those real conversations putting yourself back in those shoes as to when you're in that position and what would you have found valuable and I think that's a um, that's, that's something I applaud you for mate. And I, I know you've, you've put a lot of hard work in over the years, but, and continue to support in you in your own different ways as well, which is brilliant. Um, and lots of fun. Yeah. Um, so tell us a bit then about peak 15 and you talk about sort of post mergers and, um, and, and acquisitions and things like that. What, what is it that you do and what are the clients that you, uh, <laughs> that you're working with, you know, how do you help them?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. What is it I, I do? Um, some people I've known for many, many years and they, they still have no idea what I do, yeah. even if I've uh, um, articulated it a number of times. But what What I do fundamentally is I help people as they are going either through an acquisition or a divestment, and I help them think through the practical considerations that they need to undertake to either make that acquisition successful or that divestment happen. Right. Um, I'm not a corporate finance person. I'm not a, a banking person. I am not an IT specialist in any way, shape or form, but what I have is a lot of experience around how you are, all the things you need to consider to make a transaction successful operationally. Right. And I will go in and I will work with the management team and I will have the first define what is it exactly they're buying? What exactly is it they're selling? Right. What are the key activities they need to undertake ahead of day one, the day when the transaction actually completes primarily to make sure that the business is legally safe and able to continue operating on day one. I talked a lot about making sure that goods still arrives at the back door, products still go out to customers calls get handled, website works, all the things that you need to do, thinking really down into that detailed level. And then after that, with the separations, helping people actually separate properly and fully completely Mm -hmm. project, project and program managing that. And then with the integration, actually bringing the businesses together. What are the things that we really need to, to make sure we, we integrate and that might be to achieve economies of scale, or it might be just to very practically extract the value out of the, the businesses that that um, the business that was purchased. So hmm. no one is ever the same. Right. For a lot of people, they are one-off events in their career. Hmm. Sometimes you'll meet people who've been through a couple. I don't profess to be an expert in anything at a deep level, but I know lots and lots and lots of little things that need to get done, and therefore I'm quite useful resource to have to say have you thought about this have you thought about that these are the potential solutions you've got well, let's build that solution together right. and that's going back to that teamwork how do you make sure you plug the right people into the right other people to make sure that they are building those plans pretty quickly
1: right oh wonderful there. and i know <clears throat> having worked in businesses where parts of that business or even the whole of that business has either been sold or, or bought by another business yeah until you get into the nitty-gritty, it just feels as if, you know, all right, it's sold. You know, the deal's done. That's it. You now own, own that business. You, that part of the business is now somewhere else. It's mm-hmm. never that simple. And I know when we were chatting the other day, you talked about some of the, the nuanced detail of that. Like, um, do you still have access to the IT systems? And, you know, all of that detail that needs to happen. As you yeah. say to keep the keep the moving. Have you got any good stories, any examples of things that have stories examples.
0: I mean I think I think more for your listeners it's about just considering the pitfalls. As you mm. as you go MA happens quickly. It happens at a pace that that normal internal transformation and change programs that don't take take place at. And to accelerate that, as you rightly say, sometimes what is put in place is what's called a transitional service arrangement and that will allow the seller to continue to provide the buyer with access to some of their systems some of their processes some of their contracts potentially right to allow them to to sell the business and then use a runoff period to to come off that and whether you are a seller understanding how that's going to work practically and how you're going to provide that and how you're going to arrange for that to happen and how you are going to track and monitor that a, that a buyer is actually exiting that Mm. is one thing. And then on the flip side, if you are in the the buyer's situation, you've got to think, what am I getting under transitional service? How long am I getting it for? What exactly am I buying? How much am I paying for it? And even from very early stage, you've got to be thinking, what do I need to stand up? What do I need to move onto my systems? What do I need to make sure happens in that timeframe? Right. to exit that transitional service. Because mm. often there are quite punitive clauses in, in the sale documents for if you don't get off there, yeah. um, the price goes up, the service level goes down, et cetera, et cetera.
1: Right. And it's um, one of the things when I was thinking about this the other day, I'm almost likening it, likening it in my own head to like a house buy where it's a big thing that happens in people's life Only, as you say, sort of once or twice it might be for for some people. And knowing that, you know, I know that I want to buy a house. I know that I've got so much money to put down as a deposit. Mm. But I don't know, you know, it's like, do I go in and just give someone that money? How does that work? What paperwork do I need? What do I need to do now to ensure that later on runs smoothly? Um, You know, what are those nuances and those things? And that's why you go to an estate agent. That's why you have a lawyer to help you. And... This seems like to be an analogy that uh, that fits in my mind. That you're helping people through that process and bringing Correct. the experience that they won't have had necessarily. in that Yeah,
0: space. absolutely. Um, for a lot of people, it, it is a quite a unique moment in their in their career. Mm. Um, you have to balance delivering the M&A program with running the day-to-day business and if mm-hmm. you're not a huge business you can find that very quickly your people will become distracted they get what I call shiny new toy syndrome you know, right. they've got this new new shiny acquisition they want to go and get involved and they want to devote their runtime to that where actually there are certain people who actually you need to sell stay focused on making the sales that they always make, delivering yeah. the product of the quality that they always deliver, mm-hmm. delivering aftercare and service. And only when they are asked specifically to focus on something should they, be, should they be distracted and helping people think through where they're going to get those additional resources from, where, where they're going to leverage advisors, consultants, um, secondes, um, whatever it may be to help them. Or is it something they can they can manage internally because they actually have some some resource capability, right. either from their own organization or maybe from the from the acquired organization as well. And right. don't forget, people are very seldom just <clears throat> just buying an organization; they're buying the people, the knowledge, the know-how, and understanding how you leverage that early and where you want to leverage that is really really important.
1: Oh, that's, uh, that's great, because I think it's one of those areas where, as you say, it's either a shiny new toy or it's a it's something that can be very disruptive to an organization, particularly at the smaller end of the, the spectrum. Yeah, and I'm, I'm guessing, you know, going back to your days in the likes of Deloitte. You know, it's the bigger businesses that are buying whole businesses or massive arms of those businesses mm-hmm. that they need a team like Deloitte to, to bring to come in and manage that whole end to end operation. Um, are you dealing more of that sort of small to medium end uh, of the spectrum and and what what's the service that you provide is it is it you know just the overall management or do you get your, your hands dirty still uh,
0: so look there are there are mega deals out there we, we read about them um, they happen on a regular basis billions and billions worth of, of transactions it's it's not uncommon these days they are happening in many many jurisdictions across the world they are they are multi-faceted in many ways they have lots of nuances depending on where they are and they need large teams and, and it, 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 most of the big four most of the second tier firms and also some boutique consultancies will offer that merger right. integration service and a lot of it is around personal preference sometimes people want that level of oversight that large team you know I, I grew up in that i think it's very very useful very very helpful and um, it does allow a lot of things to be executed at pace and i still work with some of the larger organizations and, and and support them and you know i'm very grateful for the training they've given me i think what i've found is that some organizations don't particularly need when they're doing smaller transactions. So it might not necessarily be a small organization, but they are not necessarily doing mega deals. Yeah. They need a smaller team who they can look at to go through an organization from the strategic top level vision, rationale, detail. Yeah. through into the detail. Sorry, sort of how do you plan this out? How do you de- how do you run it? And then actually people who can go and support their teams in actually managing it and driving it on a day-to-day basis. Right. And where I've found my niche is because, as I said in my introduction, I do like to to get my hands dirty. I do like to do a lot of doing. I do like the detail. I found some of those smaller transactions i'm able to pick up a multitude of those roles, where otherwise you might have to go and purchase a number of different consultants from mm-hmm. a large organization. but as I said it's completely horses of course some people right. like to have that continuity from their diligence team right through into their post position. Some people want to have a a smaller leaner, more nimble advisor around them, mm. and some people want a mix you know right. I've worked on some transactions where it's i'm sort of sitting close to the management team and then there are advisors sitting around and you know i think once everybody realizes that there's a piece of pie for them and that there's a way they can help and yeah. drive a drive a transaction through and and, and be make their uh, make their clients successful it works really well so mm. it's all it's all different depending on on who you who you talk to and what and what, and what
1: people Want. Right. So you you you're working there with the leadership teams, with the 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 C-suite or or, or the senior yeah. uh, team to say what is it you want. This I can help you at a top level. I can help advise how you move this and point you towards the pitfalls. But it yep. sounds like you're also there to go. If you need me to de- to deliver some of this stuff and to to make it happen, and as I think you pointed out earlier on, you're not the IT expert, you're not the the finance person who mm. does it, but you can project manage that and program manage that so that it gets done. Yeah, okay.
0: yeah, absolutely. Build the plan, identify the interdependencies, do some right. of that really good. What some people would describe the basic project management stuff, and. Mm. It's fine, it's applying that eighty twenty rule in a mm. lot of cases. You know, you can if you want to implement a large IT system, you can spend a year planning it before you even, you know, get off the ground. Yeah. But some of these M&A situations, you have to move really, really quickly. And right. being able to apply that eighty-20 rule, what are what are the big things we need to get done and we need to get them done now? What are the things we need to mock up later? Yeah. Um, is slightly different to Mm -hmm. let's play it to the nth degree and only when we're happy that every little bit of the jigsaw fits together do we move we move forward sometimes you've got to start the ball rolling right yeah and a lot of it's about taking the people on the journey
1: yeah
0: people have to get comfortable that it won't be perfect every time Mm. you'll get 80 percent of it right 90 percent of it right but sometimes you're just gonna say okay we went that direction the goalposts have moved we've got to make a change right and being able to articulate to people and, and bring people out jay around how how that helps how that happens is really
1: really helpful mm. no wonderful and again some people like to have the change managed for them and some people like to learn from that experience so that if they have to do it again in future they can Build that capability for themselves as well, isn't it? And uh, and yeah. see see how they could do it in a either again in that organisation or, or if they mm. move forward in their career, they yep. can take that experience. Oh, wonderful! Mm. Oh, I, th- I think it's uh it's it's definitely one of those areas in business um that people overlook um partly because it's doesn't happen very often in a business's life cycle, but yep. also it's uh it it's it's something that. Um, particularly from my experience and some of the smaller businesses that I've worked with, in particular, where they've said, "Right, oh, we're going to buy in this other this competitor," and mm-hmm. they're only small, and we're going to bring them in, and the noise that has come around that has been so sort of dangerous to their own operation. Never mind the wider operation once they're integrated has actually Im- impacted right. their existing organization to an extent where they weren't getting the performance they needed so i think that's a. and that's point. uh you, you make a really good point there paul you know mm-hmm. a lot of people will look at buying businesses
0: where an owner necessarily wants to cash out and retire right or they want to move on from that to a to another exciting venture they've got in the back of their mind yeah um but if you are a large corporate or a medium-sized corporate buying an owner-managed business, mm. that is actually one of the more challenging types right. of acquisition you can do because one, that owner probably wants to walk away at some point. So yeah. you've got to work out how do you extract that knowledge, either by some sort of burnout to keep them in the business for a period of time, or some mechanism like that. Yeah, they are used to making very quick, very nimble decisions. Mm. And the people are normally bought into their le- vision right. and leadership. Um, I once went to meet with a large multinational who was having problems. They were buying little technology businesses, and right. most of their um, most of their acquisitions were not going particularly well because they were not putting any change management consideration to how do you move from a very very nimble small organisation right. where you go to someone's office or you put the focus on the decision gets made. Yeah. So filling in forms in triplicate for a board meeting that happens in a month's time. And then it takes a week to get back to you right. to make that decision. And I think one of my favorite examples of that was I worked in a joint venture. Right. And we were trying to sign off the joint venture board papers. And one side was a huge multinational, one of, one of the world's biggest firms. And the other was a family run business in the UK. Right. And two months before the board meeting, the papers had to be submitted in first draft. Right. And no one in the family business could work out why this was because they were just going to get together one night round at the uh, the owner's, their, their father's house, yeah, have a chat, make the decision, sign off the paperwork, and off they go. Whereas this one had to you know, go through a UK approval and then a US right. approval and so on and so forth. And just that whole concept of yeah. pace and change. Certainly, something that
1: people need to consider when they go into these things. Yeah, no, it's a, definitely the practicalities that impact you on, on a day. Mm. You know? Oh, wonderful. There's a, I think there's a, um, it's a great service to be offering people and a, and a great experience set that can help people in so many different ways. So yeah. um, one of the questions I also like to ask all my guests is about how you help your own performance, you know, how, okay. what, what do you do? to make sure that you're operating, operating at your best and keeping up to speed with best practices and things like that.
0: Well, I think there are sort of two ways to come at that. One is maintaining your work-life balance, maintaining, uh, the headspace, mm. making sure you have time away from being in the detail to think, are we going in the, in the right direction? Am, am I doing, am I advising in the right way, you know, and, and keeping that, um, keeping that fresh. And I think one of the things I do there is, you know, I work with lots of different individuals directly or indirectly, and you understand how they, the general approach to what I do is changing, how the approach to, to, to integration is, is moving along, or separation is moving along and what the, what the key topics are in the market as people are doing that. And that's, that's one thing I do. I make sure that at least once a week, I just have some time away from the computer and, you know, whether that's going out and playing golf or whether that's, you know, just going and having a bit of a walk and just sort of going, am I, am I getting this right at the moment while it's going there? And I think the other thing is, you know, I'm very privileged and, you know, can't do this, but I've, I've got some, some great mates, both from university from the career I've had from the clients I've worked with, um, and not just, you know, not just now on my own, but through my whole career. Mm. Um, many of them i'm still in touch with and you know sometimes just going and having a sit down and beer with them and just you know bit of social bit of work chat you know it's um it's useful to get their insights as well and that that helps me with 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 maintaining my performance but also learning more about about what i'm doing in the industry and the challenges that people that people are facing Mm. i don't think there's a a one-size-fits-all answer to that question it's very different for every for every individual and, and what they what they personally like, but that's that's sort of how I do it. And yeah,
1: no, to try, uh, some... try and maintain my enthusiasm and my energy. And I think that's that's the key bit for me. Is like, what is it that gives you energy? And I think if you can recognise that in yourself, you know, so like, I get you know, have people who get lots of energy from the coaching <coughs> conversations they have and and very mm. structured coaching. I have people who um, exercise as their key thing. Um, yeah. I've had people who like to challenge themselves with things like ice baths and that's a, something <laughs> yeah. that, that brings them back in or, or golf or, or mates or yeah. whatever it might be. But I think you've hit the nail on the head there, which is what's the thing that gives you the energy and gives you the focus back mm-hmm. to not only be able to do what you're doing, but to want to do what you're doing. Yeah, um, yeah, If you If you've got that drive to want to do it, then you're going to make it happen. Absolutely.
0: I don't know when I, why, why I chuckled when you mentioned Ice Bass, because actually one of the most talented individuals I've worked with for many years was into the Wim Hof technique way before he became a TV personality. Right. And he absolutely swears by the cold shower, so right. i think not sure, not sure what made me chuckle there. But yeah, Um, you've got to find what works for you, and you've got to
1: create the time and the, the space for it. Yeah, brilliant. Great words of wisdom there, sir. <laughs> so... If you were able to help any individual or team or organisation or a type of organisation or a type of team with the skill set that you've got, who would you want that to be?
0: Oh, so <laughs> the killer question that one, Paul. um look, I, I'm I'm very very lucky that the type of work I do allows me to go and work across a variety of industries with lots and lots of different teams. I've worked with some of the world's largest organizations down to, you know, mom and pop businesses with people wanting to cash out and retire. Yeah. Um, I've worked in industries that people don't even consider. You know, they, they, one of my favorite jobs that I did was a set of a joint venture in the airline catering industry about 10 years ago. Right. I don't think anyone really considers how that little tray of food on a long-haul flight gets <laughs> to them. And it is actually one of the perfect storms of manufacturing and logistics coming together. Oh yeah, You don't know who's getting on the plane until about eight hours before it takes off. And, you know, you've got to make, particularly for business and first-class customers, you've got to make, you know, really, really high quality food and get it to a plane on time. Um, because the plane ain't waiting for food and the, that was, that was very, very interesting, but yeah, bit of an eye opener when you think about industries that you haven't thought off. So that there's no, any one or any organization, I like people who like working with me and, you know, a lot about the advisory work we do is it's about, it's about the fit yeah. and ultimately sometimes I'll meet people and we just gel and a great piece of work comes from that. And sometimes you meet people and the fit's not quite there. Hmm. and they might choose someone else or they might choose to go it alone, and that's fine with me as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, brilliant.
1: Um, so let's flip that on its head a little bit then. If you cool. were able to sit down and have a beer, uh, I know you're like a, a homebrewer and a, and, a, and a good craft ale. <laughs> <will. laughs> Who would you want that to be so that you can learn from them and, uh, and, and really up your game?
0: Um. Again, I don't want to give you a cliche to answer, but you know, a lot of it for me is around sitting down with some of my mates, they yeah. give me some of the best inspiration. They're the people that give you the honest feedback, yeah. you know, when you, when you sit down and you, and you have a beer with someone who you know really well and you trust implicitly, yeah, you can talk to them about what you're up to, what you're doing, where your business is going. And they will give you some, some really honest feedback. Um, and that, that always helps you just to sit down and go, really, am I really doing that? Do I really need to consider that? And I think that's probably the most important thing for me. There are inspirational people who I meet in my, my industry, and in my career, you know, where they be <clears throat> people who are undergoing or taking on very, very complex change programs. And sometimes you get to meet them. Yeah. Sometimes you don't. Um, I've been very lucky with some of the work I've done for network rail to meet people who are generally very, very interesting, looking after complex sets of assets that, that, that I couldn't consider how you, how you, how you maintain and look after those assets. Um, and at the same time I've met people from all over the world running different change programs and I just enjoy. Catching up with them every now and again, and, and yeah. sort of getting this gaining inspiration from where their careers have taken them. Right. Most people who get into a successful change program or a successful m a program, they go on to to do other things and and normally better things, and right. you know they uh, they face new challenges along the way. So yeah, mm. it's. Uh,
1: yeah. I love that, and I think one of the bits I really love from that is the. Yes, you can sit down with the inspirations, inspirational people. And I think that has a lot of value. Mm. But I love that reflection on the people who will tell you what's and all and the people who will go, yes, yeah, this is a shiny thing. This is where I've got to or this is where you could get to. But by the way, it's going to take all this. And this is the pain you'll feel. And this is because then you can really go, right. And I I remember having this conversation, I I think, with you and and some others in uh, one of our networks recently is... um, it's like, it's not what you want, it's what you're willing to work for. Yeah. Um, and so do what, ask yourself that question. Is, is it what I want? Or is it what I'm willing to work for? Because if I'm willing mm-hmm. to work for it, I'll enjoy the work. And therefore, if I get the, the outcome or not, I'll enjoy the journey. But um, I think also just taking on that element of, yes, this is actually important to me, this is worth the effort. So, oh, I love that, mate. And we'll, yeah, I think that's
0: really important. That, we'll, that, that's that been sitting with me for a few weeks now. That what are you willing to work for? Yeah. Well, I think that's a, a really important one, and everyone should consider that, where they're out on their own or where they're in a larger mm-hmm. organization, either corporate and firm. I think they could do that. And, you know, for me, I had a bit of a wake-up probably about four or five years ago when I realized that the course I was on probably wasn't what I wanted to be doing for the next 15 years of my life, and it right. made me... Then go out and seek some of that, mm. those conversations, and have those ones just to work out the next steps. Oh, yeah.
1: brilliant. So, if uh, if people want to learn more and want to uh, find out more about what you do and get in contact, how do they do that? Um, so,
0: look, the be- I've got the website; it's up there. Um, www.peakxv. No, nope. we'll have to edit that bit. More. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, um, I've got the website up there. It's ww.v peakxv.co.uk. Yeah, um, it's got some information on the services I offer. Right. Um, I'm there on LinkedIn. I'm not a huge social media person, but if people send me a message, I do try and get back to them eventually. Um, and then the best way to find out is normally just to meet up. Like, say, let's yep. have a conversation, see if a fit, see if I understand the change problem you're you're going through, and can I can I help you in whatever com- context that may be, whether it's a one-off or an occasional conversation to think through direction and strategy Mm. or is it actually something more where you need a bit more hands-on support and we just have to work out how that how that could happen at some point in the future
1: brilliant and i'll make sure those uh websites and all those contact details are in the show notes uh as always i do encourage people to get in touch i mean get in touch with tom have that conversation Mm. you never know where that conversation is going to go, it might be that you've completely underestimated what's in front of you. It might be that it just gives you the confidence to go off and do it yourself. But ultimately, yeah. it's the conversation before you start going down that road that really helps, isn't it?
0: And it's and and I think the other thing is, you know, it's uh, it's such a time sensitive thing. Yeah. What I tend to do, you know, you might we talked about it being a once or twice in a career yeah. moment. It might be that. Right now, that's not something that somebody needs but bookmark it or that time in five is time when, right. uh, when suddenly you're part of a divestment or part of an acquisition program. And you go, oh, yes,
1: yeah. I remember that. Name. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I'm ever in that situation myself, mate, you'll be the first person I'll be calling up. Um, Cheers, um, And so in the meantime, we'll catch up soon for that beer, no doubt. Yep. But, uh, we'll I just want to say thanks so much for being on the show this week, Tom Cliff. Yeah, thank you very much, Paul. See you soon. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you liked what you heard, then please give the podcast a rate, review and share. I'm Paul Teasdale and from sausage making to banking, oil and gas to Formula One, I help people perform. If you'd like to find out more and have a conversation, contact me via helpingpeopleperform.com.